0: Hi, and welcome to a special live edition of the True Earth Update. I'm your host, Candace Malcolm, joined by my friend and my co-host, Andrew Lawton. Andrew, welcome to the show. How's it going?
1: Yes, yeah, doing pretty well. Another Friday. How's everything on your end?
0: Well, it's sort of an interesting Canada Day, Dominion Day celebration midweek. So it felt like Saturday all day, and then all of a sudden we were like thrown back to a Monday again, and now it's <laughs> Friday. So it's been it's been kind of a fun week, but I love I love Dominion Day. It's my favorite uh, holiday, so it's always fun to sort of revel in Canadiana and spout off some history and debate some yeah. crazy leftists who hate the country. So uh, that that's always fun. But- yeah,
1: especially this year. That's uh, all we heard. I logged onto my phone on Canada Day, and it was just like every mainstream media article imaginable was just about how Canada... Canada Day is problematic.
0: Yeah, I, I love the uh, trigger warning on the uh, Canada flag, especially oh. because the Canadian flag is like a new. It's not. It's not a symbolic gesture of a past. You know, it's a, it's new Canada. It's it's not something that we had with us. You know, throughout throughout history. So it's just sort of really bizarre that anything associated with patriotism or pride in our country or anything like that is, is seen as as like you said problematic. It's so silly. It's so silly.
1: Yeah, that's life in 2020, though.
0: (laughs) Well, let's get to the latest, because this is just a bizarre scandal. It's so embarrassing for the prime minister. And, you know, I'll just say one last thing about Canada Day. I think that we should all feel free to criticize our country. I think that's part of what makes Canada great. I'm one of the most critical people, particularly of this government. Um, But there's a difference between, you know criticizing your government or criticizing things that the government has done versus criticizing the country as a whole. So this is this is an example of, of where we, we should feel completely free to be as critical as we want. Uh, of Canada when it comes to criticizing our politicians, and in this case, Justin Trudeau. So, so this latest really bizarre scandal, and Andrew, I hope you can help walk us through it because there's a lot of moving parts here. So there is an organization called WE, which is a charity, and the Trudeau government gave a $900 million sole source contract to this organization. The organization has some pretty deep ties to Justin Trudeau himself, to the Trudeau family. His, his wife hosts a podcast for this foundation. And and again, it's, it's sole source. So, you know, no one comp- competed for this contract. It just went to this group. And then, you know, once we learned all the connections that they have with the Trudeau government, they've now since sort of done an about face and the government is no longer giving this nine hundred. Million dollar contract. So let's let's just play. We have a quick clip of Justin Trudeau just sort of saying nothing, as Trudeau typically tends to do, uh, explaining why this group is no longer getting the money. Obviously, the way uh, this situation has unfolded has been uh, unfortunate. Uh, We will continue to work hard to make sure that young people get the opportunities to serve their country, but it will uh, no longer be with the organization. So. So Andrew, can you help us unpack this crazy news story? What, what, what is this organization and what is going on with this $900 million grant?
1: Uh, to be honest, I, I don't know how much I can unpack it because it seemed bizarre <laughs> from the get-go. Not just because of the the questions you raised, I think very effectively, about uh, Sophie Gregoire Trudeau's connections to WE and and Justin Trudeau's connections to WE, uh, which makes it uh, concerning enough. But but also the fact that we needed a, a program in the first place to to basically pay people to volunteer. I, I mean, for starters, that defeats the purpose of volunteerism. Secondly, uh, if the government is going to uh, make a priority of nearly a billion dollars to do that, uh, why not uh, do it in-house? Government has uh, lots of bureaucrats. This is not a government that has ever shown an interest free of service, and in fact, they actively resist that. But if you are going to go through that process, why not put it out to uh, an open bid? Why not say quite publicly, yes, this is work that we're trying to do here? Uh, Many people uh, may not know of WE. A lot of people would know it under its previous name, uh, Free the Children. Um, which was the the big, uh, really, I think, widespread campaign across schools uh, all over Canada— uh, of a certain uh, certain age i think anyone under probably 35 36 probably had this in in school this these videos and and the glory that is the, the kielberger brothers and their activism and efforts and all that uh, but it sounds like there's been a huge morphing over the years just as the organization changed to we expanding really rapidly it's not just about overseas development now but it's also about domestic volunteerism and they have a, a for-profit wing and they have and, and they kind of do everything and they have podcasts and they do these big glitzy summits Uh, And the the organization's not starved for cash. You can look at their charitable filings and and find that they have, you know, uh, millions and millions of dollars just in in payroll expenses alone, a a huge staff of, I think, just shy of of 300. Uh, And I'm like, why do they need a a government handout to deliver a, a program that Canadians have never really heard of?
0: Doesn't Canada already have the Canada Summer Jobs program? Isn't that sort of the same idea behind, you know, having students and and young people being able to sort of volunteer through the government? It's it's so weird to me, Andrew. And the more we dig into this charity, the the, the weirder it is. There was a news story today about how the program offered 450 uh, volunteer placements for its own organization. Uh, So there were 450 student volunteer placements Within We Charity, and and then and then there's this whole angle to it, which is that the uh, charity the charity itself claimed that the Prime Minister's Office contacted them directly about the 900 million dollar grant program. So uh, a recording uh, co- recorded conference com- uh, conference call, sorry, on June 12th revealed that the group's co-founder Mark Kielberger, told participants that the PMO had reached out to them a day after the grant was announced and then he since sort of recanted that so the national post reported that 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 he's had said that and now he's saying that he he misspoke and the prime minister's office is saying no we didn't reach out to him it was actually uh bureaucrats civil servants from the uh department of employment uh and social development canada so there's there's a little bit of he said she said going on here And I I think overall, though, it's just a pretty embarrassing uh, news story for the prime minister.
1: Yeah, and I would also add to that, that this morning, uh, the National Post asked Justin Trudeau if he or anyone from the PMO reached out to uh, Mark Kielberger, and Trudeau's answer was kind of incomprehensible. He said, quote, we knew from the beginning that because of work that has been ongoing between this government and we, that this was a decision that needed to be made by our professional public service. They made the decision in a transparent and open way and in a rigorous way to ensure that we had the right partnerships to move forward on this opportunity for young people, we're going to continue to yada, 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 and then the closing platitude. But he doesn't actually address the question of whether the PMO was involved and, and the PMO uh, reached forward. He just claimed in a very vague way that the public service understood that this decision had to be made, uh, but, but it doesn't really get to the, to the root of whether the PMO was involved, whether Trudeau personally was involved, uh, and that only confuses and muddles even further this uh, flip-flop from Kielberger himself.
0: Right. That's a really good point. I mean, when Justin Trudeau speaks, it's always hard to make out what exactly he means. But when he gives a muddle response like that, you, you, you really have to feel like he's hiding something. Trudeau also said that this charity, which obviously has close ties to him and his family, was the only organization capable of carrying out this the purpose of this grant, which was to create these jobs. Well, uh, I mean, it's just sort of bizarre that that this charity would would be supposedly the only ones fit uh, for the job to manage this this grant. When just a couple of months ago, uh, there was a news report that came out that said that that we charity saw resignations and departures from senior ranks right before landing this government contract. There was a flurry of changes to the senior to the senior staff two months before the federal government announced that. They were going to be the uh, administering this multi-million dollar grant. So how is it that an organization that can't even keep its own employees is supposedly the only ones fit for this? This this is again just a pretty embarrassing, bad news story for Justin Trudeau. And you can sort of tell by the way that he doesn't provide clear answers to your point and to that clip that we showed a moment ago that that he's just sort of hoping this story will go away
1: and the the idea of sole source contracts they have a place in some cases the expediency you can get from one of these uh, outpaces the idea of an of an open uh, and transparent bidding process and in, in rare circumstances but this should only be when the uh, rela- Relationship between uh, the people in the prime minister's office or the government making the decision and the organization benefiting from this is non-existent. I, I mean, a sole source contract, which should be rare in the first place, should not even be considered when there's a personal relationship between Justin Trudeau and the organization. This would be to the Aga Khan Foundation, as far as I'm concerned, and we know how that ended up when Justin Trudeau uh, cozied up with the Aga Khan, even in a, a quote-unquote personal capacity a couple of years ago.
0: Right, it's like these people have no sense. Like, what what did they think was going to be the response by the public and the media when oh, yeah. this story came out? I mean, didn't anyone flag it as like, hey, this is Justin, this is a charity known as being close to Justin Trudeau. Why, maybe, maybe we should think twice about the optics of giving them nearly a billion dollars of taxpayer money? I mean, it's, it sort of feels like Justin Trudeau is treating the uh, federal government like it's his own personal piggy bank. But uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that he he has at least reversed this and. Uh, the charity has given back the money. Well, Andrew, it's Friday, and, and on Fridays we do our live show. But we also like to interact with our audience out there. So if you're watching on Facebook, uh, feel free to leave us a question in the comments section. Andrew and I will do our best to get to your questions. You can ask us anything that you want about the Canadian government, about Canada Day, about the history, any anything that you want. Uh, Andrew and I will do our best to provide a coherent answer. So. Don't be shy. Feel free to message us on on uh, in the comments section there. And and if not, if you don't want to ask a question, just let us know where you're watching from and maybe how you celebrated the ho- national holiday, Dominion Day. Well, Andrew, it looks like trust- Justin Trudeau is finally getting tough on China after weeks and weeks of just really, really sort of pacifist appeasement language, everything from uh, his health minister, Patty Hajduk, saying that there's no reason not to trust China on their data, for coronavirus even while China was changing its own data. China didn't even trust its own data, but the Canadian government trusted it. And then, you know, we had multiple instances where the uh, foreign minister refused to even mention Taiwan by name and Trudeau giving these sort of weird equivocal statements, uh, not not really wanting to condemn China in any way. Well. Sounds like the Canadian government is finally getting tough with China. So they announced this week that they have restricted dealings with Hong Kong over the new controversial Chinese security law that has been implemented. So we finally see a little bit of a tough statement. And Canada is sort of following in the footsteps of what the United States has done. So it is suspending its extradition treaty with Hong Kong as part of the response. Uh, in the statement, uh, Francois-Philippe Champagne, who's Canada's foreign affairs minister, says that Canada will also treat sensitive goods being exported to as if they're being sent from China. So can- Canada, the US used to have a bunch of special relationship trade deals and, and, and tax treaties and all that kind of stuff with Hong Kong. Hong Kong is a separate political entity from China. But as China continues to encroach, on to Hong Kong and and really undermine its 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 standing as a free economy and a free society. Uh, Canada starting to treat Hong Kong more and more like China, which is a good sign. This is something that uh, the international community must assert pressure onto China to stop them um, from really their just blatant attempt to. Uh, again, just end basically end and take away a society that has flourished and, and been able to be free and prosperous. So sad, definitely sad what's going on in Hong Kong, but it's good to see, finally, a little bit of uh, courage from Trudeau. What do, you, what do you think of this, Andrew?
1: Yeah, you know, Justin Trudeau often likes to speak about standing up for human rights at home and abroad. That's something we've heard more times than we can probably count in the last few years. And and you can't say that with any definitive Credibility if you're not standing up for Taiwan and Hong Kong, which exist as really the most significant backstops against the tyranny of China and Chinese government overreach. And and you mentioned uh, pacifism earlier uh, as kind of a guiding force. And I'd say there's at least a moral clarity to pacifism, whereas uh, you know that the true and unbridled appeasement that we were seeing from Justin Trudeau uh, did not come from any particular ideological position or, or philosophical position, but it was just a capitulation to China. It was not wanting to tough talk, not wanting or not knowing how to to do the tough talk, not uh, wanting to rock the boat, whatever the case may be. But what did we get out of it? What did Canada get out of it? The answer is absolutely nothing. But I'd say we probably went back a few steps because it proved that we are a country that can be walked over. Uh, And I mean, yes, standing up for the rule of law and letting the the trial of Meng Wanzhou continue is fine. uh, But it's not like uh, as many of Justin Trudeau's defenders like to say that there was this elaborate game of of 3D or 4D chess going on and it had to do with PPE and it had to do with the two Michaels and it had to do with all of these other things. No, Canada has got absolutely nothing from China, which if we did, might make the whole uh, appeasement approach seem justifiable if it was a strategy, but I don't think it has been a strategy. So I I think we, we should commend Justin Trudeau for doing the right thing, talking tough, following up words with actions and all of this. But there is still a question of why now and what changed
0: of Justin Trudeau playing 3D or 4D chess is pretty funny, <laughs> and 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 even the idea of him doing something for moral or philosophical or ideological grounds, I, I don't really think that Justin Trudeau has a lot of those. But y- you're absolutely right uh, that it, that it wasn't pacifism because of, that would be coming from sort of a good place and a clear place. But this was really just uh, sh- a government showing its inability really to 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 tango with a with a big superpower on the world stage. And you're right. I mean, Canada and China's diplomatic relations are like basically non-existent at this point. They're at an all-time low. There's basically no communication, official Mm -hmm. communication between Canada and China. So you look back at months and months, if not years, of just weird uh, Canadian statements, you know, praising and, and groveling to China and you have to wonder like what was it all for and what, what did Canada get out of it? Uh, at, at least you could say with the Harper government at times they were very undiplomatic uh, because you know they, they believed in things and sometimes that led to frayed relations with countries but, but they did it because of what they believed Canada's role should be on the world stage, which is to sort of be an exemplar and and someone who pushes freedom and and the rule of law, uh, whereas Trudeau doesn't really do that. But then he he also, you know, doesn't really have a good relationships with these corrupt communist nations that you could argue that his father, uh, Pierre, did. So so Trudeau is sort of the worst of both worlds when it comes to national policy. But we can we can unpack a little bit what this new national security law is. In, in, in how and how it's going to fundamentally change Hong Kong because there's been a, a number of, of protests over the years over recent years in Hong Kong. you recall a couple of years ago there was something called the umbrella revolution where uh, protesters up up to a million protesters, Blocked a main freeway in Hong Kong. They they used umbrellas to sort of block themselves from pepper spray and uh, police, you know, shooting rubber bullets, but also to protect their identities because there's such a fear in Hong Kong that the Chinese government is going to come after uh, people. At that point, they were just protesting China's uh, involvement in local demo- in local elections. China wanted. To be able to sort of vet candidates before they could be uh, listed as as a candidate in the in the local elections in in Hong Kong, that was sort of the start of it. Then there was sort of you know every year there's new encroachments by the chinese government mm-hmm. uh, over freedom and and this one the national security law is basically saying that that china's going to have a full time presence in hong kong to, to sort of supposedly keep the peace uh, but obviously hong kong residents worry that this is going to mean that you know they don't they don't actually have their free society anymore essentially that the chinese government is moving in and imposing all of their draconian communist authoritarian laws so pretty pretty scary times in in hong kong and it, it is sad to see that happened. I, I want to also mention this this story, Andrew. The U.S. Senate passed a bill to sanction Chinese officials over Hong Kong, and this was something that had unanimous approval in the Senate. I, I didn't even think that those words were possible in the U.S. You know, <laughs> all we ever hear is gridlock and how Democrats and Republicans might as well be from two different countries because they don't agree on anything. Well, remarkably, when it comes to standing up for Hong Kong's freedom and autonomy, that is something that unites the left and the right. In the United States, well, let's let's hope that that can be something that we can rally upon, uh, and there could be unity about. In Canada, what what do you make of all this, Andrew?
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, anytime, especially in, in the era of Trump, if you can get Democrats and, and Republicans in the US Senate to come together, it, it means that, you know, either A, the world is ending, or in fact, there's just something that is just so ironclad as the right thing that there's no political maneuvering needed because it's just clear. And I, I think that tough talk on China, tough action on China is definitely an example of that. And when you mention the international uh, aspect here, I, I've got to bring up this question that uh, Ray poses to us in the chat. He says, "Are, are uh, the, the liberals getting tougher on China only because they're sore from losing the UN seat?" What do you think about that one?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, it's possible. You know, it seemed like the the UN Security Council seat, right, was such a primary focus of the Trudeau government. Like literally for the last five years, everything Justin Trudeau does, in my opinion, on the world stage, has been with his eyes set on winning that illustrious united nations That's all he cares about he cares about the united nations probably more than canada and so now that it's lost it's like okay well i guess what do i do now yeah i guess we don't have to suck up to china anymore so i i think maybe you're right maybe maybe uh now now that that seat is no longer a possibility we'll start to see some some more courage from the trudeau government
1: yeah yeah, and and i do think that there has been for for years a, a greater interest from trudeau in uh, speaking out against the U.S. than about China at any given point. I, I mean, I think we've heard actually more criticism of of Trudeau towards Donald Trump and and Trump policies than of China up until the last couple of weeks. And and I, and I guess in in that sense, I mean, the U.S. is very low hanging fruit because they're getting uh, you know picked on for lack of a term by a lot of countries uh, all around the world. And and the international community loves just treating the U.S. as a punching bag, whereas China is th- this unspoken uh, behemoth in the room. And that's got to change. And it is changing now, thankfully. I I mean, my hope from uh, the Trudeau perspective is that it will last and it won't just be this little blip, uh, this little, you know, temporary confidence. I hope it's something that that really starts to become a a fixture in Canadian foreign policy, uh, regardless of, of Trudeau.
0: Yeah, I hope so, too. And, you know, just just a small note to anyone who tries to draw any kind of equivalency between the United States and China. Just keep in mind, China has one million religious minorities interned in in camps, in concentration camps in China right now that barely hear anything about it. At the same time, you know, what's the worst thing you can say about Trump? You know, sometimes he issues clunky executive orders that aren't very thoroughly thought through. But at the, at the end of the day, you know there are millions and millions of people trying to get into the United States because they want to live in free America at the same time as you know, people are being held in the absolute most brutal conditions imaginable today in 2020. You know, we think of concentration camps as a horrible stain on the 20th century, and, and yet they're happening again, and there's not a lot of uh, people speaking out about them just because it's it's a lot easier, like you said, it's slow-hanging fruit uh, to mock Donald Trump. Uh, but there's there's truly evil governments and regimes out there. China is one of them, so we should always keep that in mind. Well, Andrew, just to change gears a little bit, seems like public officials in Canada suddenly care about the coronavirus again. So, <laughs> after after about a month of you know a bunch of officials just saying, "Hey, everybody, you can protest, but just you know make sure you're protesting the right causes," uh, we're back to lectures and and uh, shaming from city officials and and also from Canadians who don't like people exercising their freedom. So. The Toronto City Council uh, has voted to make masks mandatory indoors. Uh, That's interesting because, you know, I I feel like there's still no consensus on masks. You still hear so many things. And again, I mentioned this on last week's show, but I mean, I I don't know how this is enforceable. Uh, You know, I I tried to get my one and a half year old son to wear a mask because we went shopping and that was just total disaster. You can't get kids to wear these masks, especially when it's so hot outside. So, you know, when you're going in and out of stores or whatever, I, I can't imagine how this new bylaw is going to be in effect. And I, and I don't really think that there's a good consensus. I think if you want to wear a mask, you should for your own protection, but trying to enforce that on other people, you know, some, some people have difficulty breathing, They, ha, you know, they, they need to be mm-hmm. able to have fresh air. So the idea that you would enforce this is just really bizarre uh, this story just makes me laugh because it's so absurd. So there was a popular Ontario beach that has been partially closed after what officials say on Canada Day displayed. This is a quote: "Human behavior at its worst." Andrew.
1: So, <laughs> so, so,
0: so human behavior at its worst. You, you kind of think about all the horrible, horrible things that happen in the world and that have happened throughout history, and 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 here we have. Supposed human behavior at its worst. What? What? What did they do? What did they do? Oh, they failed to comply with these ridiculous bylaws, Andrew. Human behavior is worse. Apparently, and that
1: was the rampant debauchery. Uh, not uh, <laughs> complying with municipal ordinances.
0: Yeah, I, I tried to look and see. You know, what were they doing? You know, what, what kind of horrible things were these Canadians uh, doing on Canada Day at the beach? Well, apparently, they were just in large crowds. They were in large crowds. The horror. The humanity, Andrew. Can you believe it? People celebrating Canada uh, Day—you
1: know—holding Black Lives Matter signs on the beach, and that means that there would have been no no risk (laughs) whatsoever.
0: (laughs) I just can't get over that line: human behavior at its worst. (laughs) A bunch of Canadians celebrating Canada Day—how horrible! (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: it's funny though because it's the moving goalposts. Typically, move in one direction. In the last couple of weeks, they're they're moving in different directions by the day.
0: Right. I mean, it's so, so all over the place. And and this is just a reminder that all of these people are total hypocrites, because in the past few weeks, and we'll just go through a couple of them, the Calgary police chief and the mayor, Mayor Nahid Nenshi, said that they were proud of the way that Calgarians came together to protest for the Black Lives Matter protest. He says that he doesn't have all the answers, but he continues to fight for human rights and they need to speak up. He said, this is Marinenci of Calgary. Thank you for being peaceful. Thank you for standing up positively to the rights of yourself and each other. This is a real chance for Canadians to acknowledge the very real racism, personal and systemic, that still exists in this country. So, again, as long as you're as long as you're protesting a righteous cause, you can be outside all you want. John Tory here in Toronto basically said the same thing. He said the series of peaceful protests in the city has motivated him and other officials to work harder to eliminate systemic racism in Toronto. This is John Tory, mayor of Toronto saying, "We know that anti-black racism and racism on a number of fronts is still a significant issue here. As far as we've come, this message has been hard, has been heard loud and clear, so there were thousands of people gathered in downtown Toronto in really close proximity. They were all shouting, they were all waving their 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 signs. They weren't all wearing masks." That was totally okay. That was okay, Andrew. But, but, you know, when those same Canadians, or maybe they were different Canadians, I don't know, but when they went to the beach, that was human behavior at its worst.
1: The Nenshi one is, is particularly uh, hypocritical because this week the city of Calgary was prepared to shut down any Canada Day gatherings. The city's official Twitter account said they were going to uh, make sure that anything over 200 people couldn't happen. Uh, but thousands of people is fine as long as they have the right moral cause.
0: Well, that's the lesson that we've learned. That uh, you know, if, if it weren't for double standards, Canadian officials would have no standards at all. Uh, we got question. yeah. A lot quest- of these
1: people they need two masks to cover both their faces at the same time.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. All right, we got another question, Andrew. This one comes from Rory. He says, with everyone that walked across the border, how will Canada deal with the job issue? When the economy does come back and the companies use those under the table workers, how will Canada take jobs back? Will we deport them? <laughs> what kind of statement does that make? Well, no, I, I doubt we'll re- re- deport. Canada's like horrible at deporting. I think we deport like 10 people a year. So you know, for the thousands of people that come to the country, not very good. But what do, what do you what do you think about that job issue? Uh, well, how, I, how
1: can we reconcile I, that? My, my, my approach on the, the employment front here ha- has been the, the temporary foreign worker program, which we've talked about, which I think by and large is a program that has value in Canada, that clearly, I mean, there are a lot of jobs that people can't fill uh, with, with Canadian labor. But in the last few months, that's very much a, a different priority, I think, because we have 8 million Canadians at one point that had applied for serbs. So you had millions of Canadians that were out of work, yet still... Uh, TFWs were coming in to do a lot of labor, whereas I was thinking, okay, uh, you know, I get year-round that maybe you, you can't find the the laborers here, but are we not able to find, in the economic circumstances we're dealing with now, jobs that we can give to Canadians who are out of work? And And the problem right now that we're facing is that a lot of Canadians don't want to go back to work. Uh, the programs from the government have been structured in such a way that it doesn't actually, uh, in some cases, make financial sense to return to work. You can make as much money, or in some cases more, by, by staying home and doing nothing without the hassle of actually carrying a job. So I, I know that doesn't address illegal immigration specifically, but well, we need to have an economic climate in Canada where there are jobs for Canadians, and more importantly, a, a cultural atmosphere where people are not choosing not to work because that's just as easy a path is working.
0: Yeah, I mean y- you're right about the serb because serb is, is federally uh, handed out and it doesn't even really matter <clears throat> what you know what, what income you were making before in some cases you could even be receiving provincial welfare and still be getting CERB. so you're right mm-hmm. about getting making more money than you'd make out there, I, I kind of disagree, Andrew. I, I don't. I, I think that the temporary foreign worker program goes against the core spirit of Canada's immigration program. Can, Canada's successful in its immigration program because it's so welcoming. So, having a program where we bring people into our country, but we don't extend a path to citizenship. So we say, you can come here. You know, you can work for cheap labor and then you gotta go. I, I, th- I think that goes against the spirit. One of my biggest critiques in the U.S. is that they have people who come to the U.S. with these H-1B visas and other visas, they're, they're, they're there legally, they're there according to the law, but they have no pathway to citizenship. So you have people who spend 20, 30 years of their life working in the American economy, becoming American, essentially. They're there because they love America, and yet they can't become citizens. They can't join fully the community. I don't think Canada should have those kind of programs. And the the fact that we do have this temporary uh, foreign worker program, I I, I just don't think that it's the right program for Canada. I prefer to see uh, programs where we have pathways to citizenship, I think that there should be, those programs should be smaller as well because we can't even uh, integrate the people who do come to Canada. But uh, maybe, maybe that's a conversation for a different day. But I, I definitely think that that uh, bringing people in at this point when there's so many unemployed Canadians just makes no sense whatsoever. So thank you for that question. Uh, this is a crazy story, Andrew. man was arrested at Rideau Hall Uh so this is a—we're learning more about this story, but there's still not a lot of information out there. A, a member of the Canadian Armed Forces, a ranger from Manitoba, was arrested after roaming the grounds of the, Trudeau's residence with three weapons. So uh, what what do we know about this story so far, Andrew?
1: Well, not a lot. I mean, we only just got confirmation of, of the suspect who's been uh, arrested— and charged this morning. And and he's been identified, as as you mentioned, Candace, as a a Canadian Forces Ranger. And what happened was we saw the photos of this. uh, The the gate, the pedestrian gate of of Rideau Hall was rammed with a a pickup truck. Uh, Someone was wandering around for several minutes before being arrested. No one was injured, uh, facing multiple charges now, but police have not, as far as I've seen anyway, released exactly which charges. Uh, my my concern with, with this is that we just don't know. I mean, a lot of the media was focused on the fact that, you know, Justin Trudeau's family is living at Rideau Cottage, which is on Rideau Hall. It's also uh, the official residence of, of Governor General Julie Payette. Now, as it so happens, neither Payette nor Trudeau was at their uh, official main residences on the the morning when this happened. So uh, perhaps Trudeau and his family were at Harrington Lake. I, I don't know, but you know, there's there's never in in my view an excuse for anything like this, and I, I find it. Uh, to be very upsetting when we have situations like this that happen in Canada. You know, th- this had a different outcome, of course, than what happened on Parliament Hill in, in 2014 when Nathan Cirillo was killed. But but all of these situations should give us pause to, to question and, and evaluate, OK, what security mechanisms uh, didn't work that allowed this person to just wander around on these grounds armed?
0: Absolutely. I think I think Justin Trudeau is a pretty horrible Prime Minister, but the, the fact that something like this would happen to the Prime Minister of Canada is completely unacceptable. It's scary, you know, my thoughts and prayers are with the Trudeau family and I'm glad that they're okay. I truly am. Uh, but but the security concerns you're raising are absolutely correct. I mean this is this is just mind boggling. This in- individual was able to ram through the gates at Rideau Hall and then he was on the loose on the ground for thirteen minutes carrying a gun. Before he was obtained by the RCMP, can you imagine, Andrew, if this happened at the White House, if if if, if a, an armed individual ran through the gates of the White House? I, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but he would have been shot on the spot.
1: Well, it, not it,
0: even not even
1: in 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 the United States, but even at the U.S. Embassy just down the road in Ottawa, you couldn't get away with this and have 13 minutes of life left in you after you initially hit that.
0: Yeah, it's, it's wild. So I think that hopefully this will give the RCMP uh, an opportunity to reflect upon its security procedures and really uh, work on that. Because, uh, look, I like the fact that Canada is a pretty open, safe country. Sometimes, you know, we when I, were, I lived in Ottawa, it was when Harper was prime minister. And sometimes you'd see him walking around on the streets. And that was kind of cool that he didn't have this huge, big entourage. And the, the way that you see in, in, in a lot of these other countries where, you know, I've, I've been to, New York City during um, the week where the um, General Assembly meets, and you have these ridiculous caravans with, like, 40 black SUVs for, like, some low-level diplomat. Um, Or, like, the deputy
1: undersecretary to the assistant (laughs) attorney, yeah.
0: Exactly. And I I like that Canada has a more open attitude, but it is completely unacceptable that someone would have the uh, ability to get onto the grounds where the Prime Minister and his family live and roam around with a gun for 13 minutes. That... That is that is not acceptable well Andrew we've got a lot of good news you, you, you know when we when we first created the true North update we always wanted to end the show on a positive note and sometimes it was hard to find because we were just talking about coronavirus and the lockdown and the misery and all the horrible things that were happening you would have to you know spend a bunch of time just trying to find one good news story well uh, you know, this is this is great because we've got we've got quite a few good news stories so the first one is about our friend Don cherry the Canadian icon. He uh, he announced that he will be selling. His suits, you know, Don Cherry. One of the things that he's so known for is his very flamboyant, very colorful suits that he would have created uh, for his his appearances on Hockey Night in Canada. So those iconic suits are are getting auctioned off. It's going to a good cause to fund animal rescue initiatives. We all know that Don Cherry is a huge animal lover and a, a pet lover. So it's great to see him working for a good cause. And if you, uh, what, what do you think, Andrew? Why don't you uh, why don't you put a in and get one of those colorful shirts you can start wearing yeah i don't true know i might update. need a
1: true north credit card i'm looking at some of them now uh, and the, the bidding starts at 2500 so uh, but there are some nice design yeah
0: well i mean it, it, i think it would be just a great uh, conversation piece if you were if you're going to a party or something like that you could you yeah i don't know, don know don if he's jerry my too.
1: size but maybe i can buy two of them and uh, sew them together and we'll see we actually we actually had a question from rob earlier in the show he didn't know we were going to mention this and he says when are when is don jerry going to be on the show uh we might have to have him on as a guest co-host at some point that
0: would be uh that would be really fun andrew but he won't I, have I,
1: anything to wear anymore
0: <laughs> yeah, how, how will you know it's on cherry if he's not wearing if he's not wearing these, yeah yeah uh, exactly he'll just suits. be wearing
1: like an old off the rack suit from morse
0: <laughs> but uh in all seriousness i know we we did a petition and we were you know we had don cherry's back when he was unfairly uh removed from hockey night in canada we were definitely in in communication with him so I, I think this is uh something that we should definitely definitely do and have uh have Don Cherry on the show. Well, the next good news story, Andrew, if you can walk us through this, it seems like the Seattle police have finally come to their senses and they have decided to get rid of CHOP or CHAZ or whatever they're, you know, the fledgling independent nation of uh, protesters, of Antigua protesters in Seattle is finally coming to an end.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what jumped out at me is that if you have a a coup d'etat in Seattle, it sounds like the name of some upstart hipster hair salon, you know, Chaz and Chop and all of these places. But uh, this, I don't even know if it's completely good news or just the long overdue duh news. Uh, But either way, it sounds like the reign of the Seattle uh, demilitarized anti-police zone uh, warlord has uh, come to an end. after uh, a number of cases of, of people being uh, very seriously injured, businesses being shut down, and police not responding, it sounds like this—you uh, know—little 16 blocks has has had the rule of law and uh, the the uh, basically, I mean, just basic fundamental uh order restored to it.
0: well congratulations to the people of seattle you know it goes to our point that we were talking about earlier that you can protest as long as you're you you can be out in public and you won't get criticized as long as you're pushing for a righteous cause well apparently if you're if you're like a far left deranged protester you can get away with a heck of a lot because you know i I can't believe that it it lasted uh, almost a month they were able to maintain this this occupied territory people were shot at least two people were killed. There were nightly reports of everything from assault to rape to, you know, theft, everything. And, and it was totally wild that the, that the uh, officials out there in Seattle just sort of treated these left-wing protesters with kid gloves. But... Uh, you know, again, once again, Andrew, it's the theme of the show. If there, if it wasn't for uh, double standards, these officials would have no standards, at all. Well, let's move on to the next story. You found this one, Andrew, so I'll, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you walk us through it. Walk us through it. Yeah, I don't,
1: I don't even know if it's a story so much as just uh, an image. They say a picture's worth a thousand words. So uh, let me roll this uh, brief clip for you. Hey, friends. I want to wish you all a happy Calgary Stampede. I know that it's really tough not being able to come together and celebrate. And Calgary Stampede is such a big part of the summer, such a big part of Calgary and and, and Alberta and all of Western Canada and Canada in general. It's an incredible celebration, a celebration of history and the culture of Western Canada. We are definitely going to do this again and I look forward to being there with you in person next year. But We'll keep the spirits alive, happy Calgary Stampede and I'll see you there next year. So there's a lot to unpack here. Firstly, uh, there is no stampede. So it, it's just this lamentation that I think a lot of people have, uh, myself included, because I've never actually been to the stampede. I keep wanting to go and I, I've never made it out that this thing has to have been moved online. Uh, secondly, there is like the politicians that you get every year of all party stripes that pretend to, you know, have any sort of rural root connection. Uh, and uh, the, in this particular case, uh, the, the real giveaway that Jagmeet Singh does not belong is the boots. Yes, those are all the Albertans I know have probably just like almost uh, had aneurysms seeing that uh, pant legs tucked into the boot, uh, which for a, a gentleman is not the way you wear a cowboy boot. It's, it's uh, you know, even worse, I'd say, than when we see people who put their cowboy hats on backwards. And I say this as someone who, who grew up in a city. Uh, you know, Candace, uh, is this like a points for trying situation or just a, a go home and don't even bother situation?
0: Singh is known as a guy with like a Rolex collection, right? He's like the the complete opposite embodiment. He's a he's a sophisticated urban elite who wears bespoke suits and and has you know fancy watch collection. So, I, I, I guess nice try, but I I think that that image is going to be burned into the eyeballs of of many a Calgarian who who is going to. You know, n- never, never find uh, anything that Jagmeet Singh says to be authentic after seeing that. And, you know, Andrew, it kind of reminds me, I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, pretty sure the first time I ever met you, you were wearing a cowboy hat. I think it was at the Manning Conference like a decade that ago. That sounds right. And and I think you used to sport the cowboy hat back in those days. So. I did, and the boots, and I always wore them properly. <laughs> well, there you go. The city boy from Ontario uh, knows <laughs> knows how to wear the cowboy outfit, but uh, Jagmeet Singh, who's from BC, has has no idea. Well, uh, last story. This is just sort of a shout out because this is a special week. It was Canada Day or Dominion Day, as I like to call it. You know, it was known as Dominion Day for the first 120 years. Canada was officially country. Uh, Pierre Trudeau, Justin Trudeau's father, changed that in 1982 because he wanted, I think, in an attempt to sort of, uh, bury away Canada's traditions and the symbolism of old Canada and create this sort of new Canada. So I, I like to call it Dominion Day. That fell on Wednesday. And then we have the 4th of July on Friday. I, I think this is a great moment, you know, in, in all the craziness that's been going on in the world, both with the coronavirus and then these Black Lives Matter protests, where really you have people trying to attack the fabric of our free society, the very foundation. It's good to just take a pause and and, and remember that we actually live in these great bastions of freedom and the rule of law and democracy. And even though things aren't always perfect, and like I said, there's always things to criticize when it comes to our governments and try to improve, uh, we we should take a step back and just remember how how grateful and lucky we are, show some gratitude uh, to the fact that we live in these remarkable countries. I think Canada is the best country to live in. In the world, I think America is probably the greatest force for good, at least in the last century, Um, perhaps one of the greatest forces for good in the world in all of human history, one of the top one of the few um, great, great countries. Uh, in in our in, in world history. So I, th- I think it's great uh, to criticize, but also we should show some gratitude and celebrate uh, the fact that we uh, you know live in Canada, which is a great country. We're, we're blessed to be neighbors and friends and allies with America, who has been this amazing beacon of, of freedom and liberty uh, and, and opportunity and equality and justice and all these other great things. So so let's just, let's just keep things in perspective, everybody, and show a little bit of gratitude. Well, Andrew, thanks for uh, joining me and co-hosting this show. Uh, it's been fun and we will be back again next week.
1: Absolutely.